Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we sit down with the three founders of Crooked Crab Brewing, including our very own Dan Maseka. The story of how they went from three college buddies to an award-winning craft brewery. Stick around. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back, everybody, to the Check Your Balances podcast. I am Ross Anderson, and I'm joined by Dan Maseka, but today Dan is moving from his co-host seat into the guest chair as we also welcome Earl Holman and Alex Joseph from Crooked Crab Brewing. Fellas, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. It is so exciting. So I've wanted to do this really since we started the podcast because I think you guys have a fascinating story. So for those that don't know, uh, Dan, who's my partner in our financial planning business, is also a co-founder in a brewery with these two gentlemen that we have on the show. You guys are, uh, you just had your third birthday as a brewery? That's right. Awesome. Um, So what I really want to go through today is just kind of the story of how we got here. You guys, it sounds like you've been friends for a long time, went to college together, uh, go go Terps. So so why don't you guys take me through the first time that, hey, maybe we should brew beer comes across your minds as something that you might actually do. So I'll just say for the record that Dan and I have actually known each other since we were, what, eight years old? Yeah, second or third grade. So, you know, since Dan was my height and I was like tall. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So it goes back even further than college. Hopefully you weren't drinking beers in, in the second grade. Not much. And uh, we didn't talk about it much then either. So at, at what point does it come up for the first time for you guys, either as an idea or, or as a serious consideration? I met Alex and Dan freshman year of college. Um, I know they've known each other for a long time, but we all lived on the same floor um, freshman year. And, um, after college, I got into homebrewing, um, pretty seriously. I was homebrewing for a long time. And on top of that, I just love beer. I love like trying as many things as possible. I love visiting other breweries. So it was always one of those ideas of, you know, I would love to start a brewery. I would love to do this for a living. Um, you know, I homebrew for fun. If I could do that as a job, that would be awesome. Right. And, um, you know, we were talking before we recorded and you asked me like, Hey, there's a lot of people that have that idea of, Oh, it'd be really cool to do X, Y, Z, but nobody actually goes out and does it. Um, so that's kind of where I was for a few years, just homebrewing and having fun with it. And then, um, I was, uh, we played golf, I think. Um, I don't even remember where it was, uh, somewhere in Montgomery, Rockville, maybe. Redgate. Yeah. Redgate. And, um, we were having some beers at a very small brewery that's now no longer in operation and their operation was so small. It was literally in like a, um, like a storage trailer. And I'm sitting here drinking beers that, you know, I think my homebrew stacks up very well, favorably. And I'm thinking like, we could do this. This is easy. This is so small. It's like, it's not a big deal. Like this is something we could easily accomplish. So I just kind of threw it out there to Alex and Dan, like, Hey, we could totally do this. Like I have the beer. I know the product, like it's, 
you know, and then the three of us together, I think, make a great team. Dan has a strong financial background and Alex has, he can talk to you about his background. He's done <laughs> many things. Alex does things. Um, Alex does many things. So I felt like it was just a good team. And, and honestly, for me, that was like having them, um, and I, I don't want to steal all of their thunder, but having them be a part of the team made me feel comfortable diving in because I don't know the business side of things as well. I don't know the financial side of things as well, but I know beer very well. Um, and I, I also come from a management background. I know managing people very well. So it was something I felt very comfortable that we would succeed at. Um, so yeah, we just kind of pitched the idea and maybe at the time we weren't like a hundred percent serious. I know Dan didn't think we, we were, um, but, uh, it just kind of got more and more real as, as we started fleshing it out. So it's almost that you, you were, you were tasting somebody else's product going, I can at least do this, right? I, I, I can do this or, or at least elevate above that. I remember that conversation super clearly. I remember sitting at that tiny bar. Uh, it was a brewery that I used to go to some, somewhat frequently. It was really the first one in Rockville. And I think one of the first ones in Maryland that was able to uh, do what they were doing at that scale. And they actually opened a lot of doors for folks like us. But I remember sitting there and I remember having that conversation. And I had, I had homebrewed once and I was sort of the helper and it didn't, that beer didn't ever really even see light of day, if I remember. So I was never the beer dreamer up until that point, but I had done other you know, business ventures and was excited about running a business. So I think we each came with kind of a different passion. Obviously, we all love beer, but like Earl said, we have a very complementary skill set and having all of us together made us all, I think, more comfortable with this particular venture, knowing that the other guys had that expertise. And when people come to me and ask me for advice on starting a business, that kind of shaped the advice that I give people. And I tell people, don't start it alone. So even if it's your own business and you don't have any partners, just having someone in your corner in that way to motivate you uh, is really important. I certainly would have never started a brewery if not for Earl and Alex. And I think from Earl's story, you know, it's possible that he never would have either. But having us all there together turned that dream into a reality even if I did think it was a long shot, you know, each of us kept it propelling forward, even if it was slowly. Remember, Dan, I used to ask you, uh, what percent likelihood do you think we have of actually doing this? And it started in like double digits, low double digits. And then it was, uh, you know, 50%. I give it even odds, you know, and it went from there. So as you guys kind of started getting more serious about it, I guess I'm just curious about how you thought about the scale or, or the scope of the project. Um, cause you could certainly set up a brewing operation that's very, very boutique, very small. You know, how do you think about the size that you guys ended up coming to market at relative to what's out there and, and what does that allow you to do? And also where, where does it put some constraints on, on what you guys do? Yeah. I, I mean, around that time, there were other breweries that were opening that were very similar in scale to what we ended up being. One of them was Seven Locks Brewing, and that was another one that I frequented. And so I think that at least for me, being able to talk to those guys played a big role in what we would be able to do. And they also were able to kind of give us a sense of there's a size below which it's very hard to scale what you're doing. So there's kind of a minimum threshold if you want it to be more than just a, a hobby project or a very local operation, you kind of have to hit this economy of scale. And that's where I think, in my mind at least, that came from. That sounds like a very Dan answer, by the way, lo looking at the the economy of scale or that tipping point. With a lot, like once we started actually pricing out stuff as well, um, 
you know, a lot of like the brewing equipment, for example, if you double it in size, it doesn't double in price, right? So it's actually a lot more economical to get larger equipment from the beginning. It might be a slightly larger um, initial investment, but you're better off for it for the long run. So um, thankfully, we haven't had to go through major um, overhauls in our equipment. Like we're still using the same brew house that we've been using from the very beginning. And that's because we scaled it properly from the start. Just to, to set the framework again, what prompted us to start the brewery was something the size of a storage unit. So when we were thinking this was easy to do, that was what we had in mind. And it was only through talking to people that we really got a sense that we should be starting at a different, at a different point. Even Ross, one of our old colleagues, when I was talking with him, encouraged me to go bigger, mentioning that, you know, below that certain barrelage, you're not going to not going to be able to do what you want to do long term. Got it. So, so it even started in, in your all's minds as a smaller project. And then, and then the more you learned about that economy of scale is, is what kind of tipped you towards doing it in a, in a bigger, bigger, bigger way, I guess. Definitely. Okay. So, uh, one of the things that you did and, and Earl, I'm going to go back to you because of your history as, as a home brewer, right? You kind of get into this and you say, all right, I'm, I, I realize I have a talent in this industry or I have a talent for creating beer, but as you guys go to open, you decide to hire a brewmaster. Take me through that. Was that a tough choice for you? Because I, I think a lot of people that come at this from a, from a home brewing perspective would want to wear that badge, and and I think it probably showed a lot of of just humility to to bring somebody in on on the production front. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it humility. It was more so. I I remember this vividly. We were having Alex and Dan and I have were having a meeting about. Um all of the roles and responsibilities that we would have. And, um, you know, there were some financial things that were assigned to Dan and some marketing and other things that were assigned to Alex. And then a long list of things that were Earl. And I'm sitting here thinking like, well, I have to do X, Y, Z as general manager. I can't, I mean, being a, a, a brewer, that's a full-time job. And um, I wasn't really, it wasn't feasible for me to do that. And also, be the, the GM at the same time. Um, so it was a pretty easy decision and maybe a, um, a selfish one for me because I didn't want to have to work two jobs at the same time um, to bring in somebody. And on top of that also, yes, I've homebrewed and for a while and I have made some pretty good homebrews, but uh, I've never worked on a professional system before. I've never worked on a professional grade scale before. I don't have formal brewing experience. Not to say that I couldn't do it or that I couldn't learn it, but there still would be a learning curve there and scaling up. Um, it would just it would be a lot easier for me to work hand in hand with somebody who shared the same vision as us and let me run everything else. Um, so that was kind of the idea that we settled on. So yeah, we hired Andrew was our original head brewer and um, he was very instrumental in helping us get open and he brought a lot of knowledge and expertise and, in, in just getting us set up and building out the current system as it is. And, um, he's since moved on, but we have Adam now who's, uh, been amazing and he's been doing killer beers and selfishly, uh, I, like, I still get to scratch my creative itch in, um, I, I work hand in hand with Adam on the beers that we make. I mean, we, we'll bounce each ideas off of each other on, Hey, well, why don't we do, you know, put these in this sour or why don't we do this with this IPA? And, um, so I still kind of get to, I get to 
create without actually having to physically create. You get to run the fantasy football team. Yeah, exactly. Co-run. Yeah. So, and and you kind of touched on this in in that response, but but so roles wise, Dan obviously has kept his job or or uh, has at least started a new one with me. Uh, Alex, you kept your career outside of beer as well, but Earl, you went full time with this, right? Correct. So, talk to me a little bit about the money raising process because uh, I, I know you guys brought in some investor money uh, and I know that for the disclosure of our podcast audience that I'm part of the dumb money that that joined in and I mean dumb money in the sense that uh, I didn't have any expertise I was lending just purely purely capital uh, but but I, I am invested with you guys in this but take me through that piece of it and how did that go so um, we explored financing. Uh, And from every bank we talked to, they said we needed to have a certain threshold of equity before they could lend to us. And that was about 30% is what we heard from uh, every bank as far as SBA loans go. So we knew what that target was and we didn't have enough to bring it. Uh, So we looked towards friends and family for, for helping us out, people who were already vested in our success and shared our vision. Um, so that was the first thing, talking to people, telling them our idea, letting them try some of Earl's beer so they knew we weren't just crazy. And then it was going to banks and trying to convince them the same, which was a lot harder a process than I thought it would be. Uh, I think we went to three banks that told us no before we moved on to a more locally focused bank that also told us no, but we were able to talk them out of that decision, which I mean... I can't imagine going through that experience if, you know, you could be persistent and go on to bank number two and bank number three. And if you took that fourth no and just left, you know, you might not have a business. Uh, But I think we were really lucky to be able to talk directly to a decision maker who we could, you know, I thought we were reasoning with them. And at least we talked them into siding with us. We were also lucky in the timing in that that bank had had some experience with other breweries and they had had a positive experience with those other breweries. If they had had a different experience or if we had come along a little bit earlier and were a more experimental model, it might've been a different conversation altogether. Oh, I, I remember when I was trying to talk them out of the no, they slid a newspaper in front of me that showed some of the restrictive Maryland regulations that were up for vote and asked me to explain why we thought we could, you know, not be impacted by that. And uh, it, it was a pretty intense meeting. And, and they also pointed to a brewery that they did lend on that did go under. So uh, it was a little bit of an uphill battle. Uh, but, you know, we basically signed our lives away to start this brewery. And I was pointing to how safe their investment was because they could take everything we owned and, and recoup their money. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and to that extent, for an SBA loan, you've got personal assets essentially on the line, right? Oh, yeah, they're going to own Dan's house and his dog and... Maybe his firstborn. From what I know about the dog, he might give them the dog. He might. I, I really would. And Ross, we've talked about refinancing a million times. All of us have been through a refinance. And just having that SBA lien on our home makes that process a real pain in the butt because they really do have liens on all our property. You know, we need to deal with them anytime we want to do something as simple as a, a refi. I mean, that that level of commitment to, to go into it, I mean, it's it's not just... The money that you put in that's at risk at that point and 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 you open yourselves up to a lot of liability and uh, i do think that's probably one of the more scary pieces for anybody that's kind of going down that sba path even if they have the equity component secured is what's really on the line here and 
uh, you guys are a business that does have hard assets, so it's not like there's nothing to liquidate if things didn't go well. Uh, but but certainly, you guys took uh, I think a, a material risk in in doing that, and and it's it's always impressed me. So let's turn the corner to to what it was like opening this brewery, right? So three years ago, in a in a time where we haven't even considered a pandemic. How did you how did you guys get people to hear about you for the first time and what were those first days weeks and months like So a, a big focus for us has always been social media and word of mouth we haven't really pursued the traditional media such as radio tv print and we just started building from the ground you know we we created the facebook page the twitter account the instagram started to build our followers there as Earl mentioned I've got a bit of a varied background. So I've done some digital strategy, uh, some digital marketing, but never for a brewery, certainly. And we did a lot of, I think, trial and error in that we tried different types of campaigns, different types of promotions. But ultimately, I think what works for us is that we had a very intimate kind of service. It was initially the three of us behind the bar. Uh, Dan's grandma was occasionally helping bus tables, my parents. So it was very friends and family. And I think that that feel came across to the people who were coming out, coming out initially. And you, you really only get that first impression because when a new brewery opens, there's a huge flock of people there. And what they experience when they come is what helps determine if they come back. So I think we were able to grow from that really positive first impression. We had very good beer at the time and a high level of service. So Earl, as kind of the beer connoisseur, and I know you guys are all beer fans, but how nerve-wracking is it for people to come in and have that first taste, really, when you know that that first impression is so critical? And and, and what was that response like? It was a little nerve-wracking, um, but I I always felt comfortable, um, even knowing that you know there there's so many breweries in in Maryland in the United States, and not all of them make great beer, right? So I, I always. I always felt I wanted to make the best beer possible, obviously. And, that, and that's what we strive to do every day. But um, at, from a business standpoint, and, you know, you mentioned that it was a big risk for us to to put all of our um, assets on the line for this. I knew that even if our beer was just above average, uh, it would still do very well as long as we knock everything else out of the park. To Alex's point, providing a great customer experience and a great atmosphere. So those are things... Um, you know, we, we tried our best to, to slay from day one. Um, I do think our beer has gotten a lot better since we opened, not to say our beer was bad when we first started. I think it was pretty good. I think it's even better now. Um, but the response was largely positive. Um, and I think that a lot of times beer drinkers experience is, is more than just the liquid itself. It's a lot of times um, just the overall experience that you have can can play a lot into how you perceive a brand. Um, you know, there there are farm breweries that have a great ambiance and atmosphere, and people enjoy going there regardless of of the beer um, because it's just a great a great spot to hang out and have a good time. So I always wanted Crooked Crab to be not just a beer destination, but just a community gathering place um, and just a cool place to come hang out and have a beer, regardless of what you thought of the liquid itself. Yeah. So thinking of it as a, as a community gathering place, how much, I guess, how much thought did you give to the ultimate location? Cause you guys are in Odenton. 
all I know of Odenton is from having driven there to to visit your brewery, and then I drive back to Virginia. Um, but it seems like an area that's probably not thought of as as bustling in in terms of you know people wanting to open things like a tap room there. How much of that was intentional, and how much of that was like a happy accident? Probably a little bit of both. Um, so when when we were first looking at locations, uh, we were looking at Annapolis originally. And uh, the reason for that was because, you know, Annapolis is a fairly large city. It's the capital of Maryland. No breweries. I mean, there were, there were no breweries in Anne Arundel County when we were first uh, looking to open at all. And we felt like it was just a really good business opportunity. Um, Annapolis as a city is a lot of small independent businesses. You don't see a lot of chain restaurants and other things like that. So we, we felt like that was a really good spot to open a brewery that there'd be a good business market for it. Um, as we started exploring properties, uh, we realized fairly quickly why there were no breweries in Annapolis. Um, some of the city laws in, in the actual downtown city limits are very restrictive and there's not a lot of good commercial real estate space for the size and scope that we wanted. Um, and there were some landlords that have never heard of breweries before and didn't want breweries because we were going to mess up their parking and other things like that. So, uh, we started exploring options outside of the Annapolis area and the one in Odenton where we are now was one of the first spots that came up and from, a um, all of the physical specifications that we needed for a brewery, it checked all the boxes. But to your point, we had never heard of Odenton before. We, I mean, we're all from Montgomery County. Um, you know, we'd, we'd never spent time in Odenton. Um, so it wasn't until we started doing more research on the city itself that we kind of fell in love with it. Um, Odenton actually has a larger population than Annapolis, and it's the fastest growing city in Anne Arundel County. It's right next to Fort Meade and NSA, which has a huge um, a huge presence. So uh, it kind of, it, it felt like a really good spot for, there's a lot of people that live there, but there's not a lot of stuff to do in Odenton. Um, and we've, we've seen that through our tap room. I mean, we've seen just a lot of regulars, a lot of people that live just down the road that come out all the time. Um, so it actually ended, ended up, Odenton ended up being a happy accident, but, um, it was, it worked out. Yeah. I mean, every time I've been there, it does seem like you've got a lot of regulars and that the, uh, the community's really embraced you guys. I mean, it, it really feels like you, you are part of the fabric of that, that community now. And, and I think people are treating you that way, which is uh, probably a huge credit to, to Alex, what you mentioned, just how you guys welcomed people in originally. And, uh, and certainly that you guys are continuing to do a good job. I think that's one of my favorite parts about being in Odenton is because there's not a billion things in Odenton proper, uh, people have owned us or not owned us. People have kind of, what am I trying to say? They've made us part of their, their experience. I mean, they've made us part of their lives. It's not just a place that they go when they're in the area. I mean, they, they come specifically. Yeah. They've claimed us. Right. We've become like part of their pride. Like being from Odenton means you have crooked crab brewing company. And when people come to the area, they make sure to to take them by because look at look at what we have. We might not be much, 
but we've got this awesome brewery. We've got this one barbecue place down the road. So, you know, we're part of the fabric of the community, which is really exciting. It's funny. I do that with the, the uh, barbecue place too. I take people out. And I'm like, you got to try this barbecue place. Yeah. Dan has taken me to that barbecue place, by the way. Do we give them a shout out? I mean, are we using, are we using business names on here? Oh you, yeah. It's, it's totally fine. Why not? Yeah. Free commercial for the hideaway in Odenton. Best wings in Odenton. Shout out to the hideaway. All right. So, you know, you guys have, have been in your infancy now for, for basically a couple years. And as we turn the corner into 2020, a pandemic hits, right? Bread and butter is probably the tap room for you guys. And turns out it's not safe to have people in it. Take us through kind of what 2020 has been like for you all. And what did you have to do to kind of make it work? Um, that we're still here talking about you all today uh, and that your houses have not been seized. So we, we assume at least some level of success uh, on navigating the situation. So just to kick things off, I'll, I'll mention where we were when we heard that there was going to be no more foot traffic in our business. Alex and I were at a cabin in Pennsylvania, or, or actually, was it Pennsylvania? We were, Yeah, we were in Pennsylvania on like a weekend getaway. We were just going to unwind. And then I hear from Earl, who's got his finger to the pulse of what's going on, that as of such and such a date at such and such a time, zero occupancy in our tap room. We were not sure if brewing was going to be considered an essential industry. And so panic overcomes all of us. So that that sets the framework of how it was introduced to me. You know, we were supposed to be unwinding. And uh, now all of a sudden, everything is in jeopardy. But I will say, and this is one of the great things about partnering with a guy like Dan is that Dan has always made sure that we have budgeted for emergency and, you know, not just small emergency, like this kind of scale emergency where there are potentially months of little to no business. And so I would say that, you know, to, to Dan's credit, this is the kind of thing that Dan thinks about. And when you, when you budget for that, at least you know that you're not right on the doorstep of having to give up your house and your dog blue. But seriously, you can have blue. <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> All right. So it's certainly a shock to the system. What what has to happen at that point as you guys lose the foot traffic um, to, to continue staying in operation and, and uh, to do what you can to, to stay afloat? Yes. So thankfully, um, we were deemed an essential business. Um, so we were able to continue to go to work and continue to make beer, which is great. Um, so then, then it was just trying to find an outlet for our product and liquor stores were still open and liquor stores were still able to sell beer and we were able to stay open for, uh, takeout sales only. Um, so we were able to essentially serve as a, as a liquor store that only selling crooked crab beer. Um, so we had no idea how much we would sell through our tap room, but we knew that we were still allowed to sell um, takeout. We knew we were still allowed to sell to liquor stores. So we switched our production model entirely. Um, previously, we were doing, uh, we were primarily focusing on draft beer for bars and restaurants. And as bars and restaurants were closed, uh, but liquor stores were open, we completely switched our model towards cans and it honestly blew up and it, if anything, was a, it was a huge um, positive for us. Um, something that we, you know, we were canning, it, it was a, a very um, like ancillary piece of our business, 
up until the pandemic. And then it became a primary uh, focus of our business during the pandemic. And it was actually a great thing for us, I think. So we were able to retain our entire taproom staff because our takeout sales were busy enough to keep everybody employed. Um, the county or the state allowed us to start doing home deliveries. Um, so we were doing that as well as an outlet for our beer. And then um, we were able to sell enough beer to liquor stores to maintain our production volume. So we were able to re retain our entire production staff. Uh, and we just kept going on business as usual. It was just different business. It was just canning and, and selling takeout. Actually pushed us in a good direction that will probably benefit our business moving forward. You know, we might not have thought to start canning at this capacity otherwise, but now that we're doing it, it's really nice having those cans out in the world because they're good for getting our brand out there. It helps us keep our volume up and cans are a very flexible distribution medium. They last a pretty long time and they're a small enough you know, unit that you can take cans home and not have to drink 32 or 64 ounces of beer in one go. No judgment if you do drink 32 or 64 ounces in one go. But Yeah, not saying you can't or shouldn't. As you guys make that transition, and, and I just happen to know this, but you, you don't have a canning line in the brewery, right? So you've got to bring in a partner to do those canning runs. Was there any um, was there any point where you guys were saying, listen, we need more production capacity and they weren't able to give it? Or, or was that all fairly smooth and that they had enough uh, open capacity to, to get you guys what you needed? We uh, So we partner with Ironheart. They're a mobile canning company. And uh, we jumped on them early. There were a lot of steps we took at the very beginning once things shut down to try to ensure that we had everything we needed, um, you know, stocking up on crawlers and other things like that. But uh, we, we reached out to Ironheart very early on and we told them, we want to book you guys every single week, put us on the schedule right now. And we instantly became one of their top, uh, one of their top clients. And, um, we just had that standing order with them to come in every single week. And they've thankfully been able to um, honor that. And um, the pandemic has been a, a good thing for them also, because we're not the only brewery that started canning more. I, a lot of breweries are canning more uh, because they have to. So um, they were, they were obviously very busy, but they were able to, to keep their commitment to us, which has been great. I mean, that, that's an incredible reading of the tea leaves. I mean, I, I remember when we got sent home from the office in March, I I thought we were going to be home for like two weeks. Like literally, I thought I thought it was like a, hey, like go hang out for a little while. Come on back when everything's kind of all clear. To, to have taken that moment and been like, you know what? Bring this thing in here every week. Our business just changed. Uh, I mean, that that's that's incredible foresight, in my opinion. Yeah, I think Earl deserves a lot of props for that. And, and I... I I think I speak for all of us. I'm super proud of the way that we were able to pivot really the entire business on a dime when, when this happened and to be able to move with what ended up being, you know, a very major change in the way things work. So as we're eyeing reopening now, you know, do you think that some of that canning is going to continue uh, or, or is the way that people, you know, go to a brewery? I mean, it feels like there's just going to be this huge boom in demand for people to go places and experience physical spaces that aren't their homes as soon as they feel comfortable to do so. Are you guys kind of preparing to pivot back or, or what, what does that look like now as you think through it? The, the cans have been so popular that we can't pivot back 
100% to where we were before. Um, obviously, in, in the, the height of the pandemic in April and May, we were canning 100% essentially of every batch. Um, that's changed now because our tap room is open. You know, we're, we have technically we're 100% capacity, even though we're still limited by um, how many tables we can fit on our floor that are six feet apart. But um, we're serving draft beer in our tap room. So that means that we're not canning 100% because we're, we're selling draft beer. Um, so we've pivoted back somewhat, but the cans have remained so popular uh, that that's something that we're, we're still having Ironheart come out every week. And that's not something that we envision changing. Um, it just means less draft beer going out into the world. And as we're selling cans through our tap room, it just means slightly less, slightly fewer cans going out into the world. But um, we're still canning every week. And that's been, um, to Alex's point earlier, one of the positive changes that the pandemic pushed us towards that we may not have otherwise been pushed towards. Can we talk about how great the graphics are on your all's cans? So for anybody that's listening to this podcast, even if you're not in Maryland and not a beer fan, you should check out the Crooked Crab website because you guys have, in my very humble and biased opinion, the best cans around. Yeah, he's a local, Chris Bishop. Uh, the way he came about was actually through my wife, Adrian, who is scrolling Instagram and uh, happened upon his handle and showed me his artwork and said she she thought it would be great for for our cans because it had that element of playfulness with a little bit of dark components to it and it, it tied right into our humor. Um, so that's how we found him. He's a he's a Virginian, and uh, I think it's been a big part of helping propel us, you know, from a marketing perspective too. And uh, Alex and Earl have been handling that relationship really from the get go, helping uh, guide what the what the graphic looks like and what the, um, you know, the image we're portraying on our cans is. So uh, we're starting to run long a little bit, but I, I do want to give you guys an opportunity to talk about collaborations. And uh, the more and more I've learned about the beer community, it seems like a really tight knit group uh, for the most part of people that, that generally enjoy each other and like talking shop together. What have you been working on with other brewers and, and what do you have coming out that people can look forward to? Yeah. Collaborations are always fun. Um, it, it, it gives, it gives you a way to kind of expose your brand to somebody else's, um, customer base and, uh, vice versa. So, you know, we do a, a collab with another brewery we're kind of getting our name out in front of their customer base and, and their customer base obviously likes beer. So it's, it's kind of a win-win. Um, so we like to partner up with other breweries that, that we think make great stuff and and that we want to have some fun with and brew some beer at the end of the day, we just like hanging out and brewing beer. So it's, it's always just a good excuse to get together and hang. Um, we recently just did one with uh, Aslan brewing company, which is in Alexandria. Um, they're a brewery that we've been big fans of for a long time. So it was really cool to have them come out and, and brew a beer with us. Uh, so we've got that one coming out in a, a couple of weeks. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about the four score collaboration? Cause as far as collabs go, I thought that was pretty, pretty innovative the way we went about that and, uh, could be a game changer. And it's what I would hope to see with collaborations from other breweries too. Yeah. So the four score one was really cool. Um, they're a, a small brewery out in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, um, that's putting out some really good beer and, um, they actually, th that was the first collab that we did with a brewery that was outside of Maryland. Um, they were our first non-Maryland collab. And 
they had this idea of um, doing a home and home. So we brew one beer at our place, one beer at their place with the idea being that we want people to blend the two beers together. Um, so that was kind of an interesting concept that we'd never really um, played around with like blending beers. Um, so we brewed a pina colada beer at their place and we brewed a strawberry daiquiri beer at our place. The idea being to mix them together to make a Miami vice. And uh, we had, we honestly had no idea how it would work. Um, you know, brewing two beers, not even on the same system, brewing one beer at their place and one beer at our place. We had no idea if the blend would actually work or not. We just fingers crossed and hoped for the best. And I think the blend actually turned out fantastic. I think both beers are great by themselves, but um, blending them together was really uh, was a really fun idea. And uh, we've been selling them as a mixed four packs in our breweries. Uh, both our brewery and their brewery has the beers, and we're, we've been selling them as uh, two cans each in a four pack um, to encourage people to blend them together. So that was really fun, and um, I think it's been a pretty popular idea. Something that we may explore uh, further in the future. I mean, that certainly sounds really creative. I, I, I've never heard of anybody else doing it, but I'm, I'm sure you guys would know that better than I would. Uh, all right. So final reflections here. What would you do differently if you got to, a chance to do it all over again? Or or it, can you even point to anything where you go, yeah, we we, we should have done this or, or could have done this? Because it, it seems from a, a layman's perspective, like you've been executing pretty much at every level. Uh, I can kick things off. And uh, it's a phrase that you say often, Ross, buy once, cry once. So uh, getting started, we tried to do a lot of stuff on the cheap because we had the mentality that, you know, we didn't know how this was going to turn out. We wanted to save every dollar for an emergency. Uh, So we definitely did a lot of work ourselves, I think most of which turned out pretty good. Uh, But we tried to cut costs in some areas by buying used kegs and, you know, trying to get deals with some professional partners. And I think more often than not, we found that that harmed us in the long run. And we ended up spending more money doing it over the right way. Um, So I'm not sure that that's the biggest thing, but that's the one that comes to mind the quickest is to to make sure you're doing things in a way that's going to be durable and long lasting and not try to, you know, cut costs uh, at the expense of quality. Now I know where that saying comes from, which I've also now adopted. Big fan of that. Um, I certainly didn't invent it, but it is a favorite phrase of mine. Every time I've ever tried to cut a corner on like anything, it's ended up coming back to bite me. Oh, for sure. I'll I'll credit you for it, even though you didn't invent it. Um, I mean, I think for me, the one thing I would have done differently is just to go bigger. Honestly, Uh, you know, we're at three years and we're already looking at hitting up on our capacity and you you can't really know that upfront. You know, you just have to pick a point where you're comfortable taking that level of risk, but certainly in retrospect, seeing how successful the product has been and the brand has been, how well we've been welcomed by the community. I would have gone in a little bit bigger and, you know, started with that. I think the first thing that came to my mind was the same thing that Dan said. You know, there are a lot of small projects that we took on ourselves that we've since had to redo the floors and we've had to redo the bathrooms and we've redone a lot of things that, um, you know, if we kind of just spent more money up front, it might have been um, saved us money in the long run. Um, But honestly, I, I don't know. I think we actually did a pretty good job. If we did it again, I would probably do it mostly, mostly the same. 
I mean, that, that's a that's a great testament to, to the work you guys have done. And uh, I'm very much a fan. I appreciate you guys coming on the show today to, to tell your story. And uh, really, I, I guess I encourage a lot of the, the folks that are sitting out there and have an idea uh, that, that want to be entrepreneurs that, you know, it's not it's not something that's so far out of reach. It's something that you can do. And, and if you can find people that are your friends and, and that have complementary skill sets that that that, that also share a passion with you. Um, I, I think you guys are, are a great example for for those folks. I'm going to put one more plug out there just to give a sense of timeline. The first time we reached out to the uh, Anne Arundel economic development team was in 2015. We didn't open our doors until 2018. So just sticking with it and not like giving up on a, on a plan or a dream is important. The, the same guy who sat with me, he came all the way to Alexandria, Virginia, years before we would even, you know, put anything in motion was at our opening. Um, so, you know, reach out to people, talk to people. I, I thought that was a big part of helping us lay the right foundation for the business. Know what you don't know and find the people who know that. Love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you being on the show. Crooked Crab Brewing is in Odenton, Maryland. You can find their beer a bunch of different places in Maryland now, uh, those cans that are, are being shipped, as well as uh, some stores in D.C. And uh, I look forward to the day that you come to Virginia so I don't have to drive so far. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. That is it for our show this week. Thank you so much to the Crooked Crab team for making time to come on our show, share their story. Uh, it's been an incredible journey to get to watch and uh, wanted to share that with you all, whether you're a beer fan, whether you're just a business person or, or just find their story engaging. Ho- hopefully you took something away from it today. If you've got questions, things you want to hear us cover, whether that's personal finance or investing topics or just business stories that you'd like to hear our take on, send us an email. Check your balances at outlook.com is the email for our show. Uh, Certainly give us a subscription or a rating if you're a fan. We look forward to seeing you next week.